When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Five weeks later, we finally bring you the first episode of the Strictly Stripes podcast, which is strictly everything Cincinnati Bengals football analysis, content, debate, you name it. Muhammad Ahmad joined by Andrew Gillis and Michael Nizalik. And guys, it's better later than never, but I'm so glad to be on here with you all. Yeah, yeah, I'm super excited to get started here. Um you know, we're, I, I guess you could say that since we're starting with the Bengals at two and two, we're, we're kind of starting it at all even. So it's, uh, it's going to be fun. I'm excited. Yeah, this is exciting. Uh, you know, we've had kind of, uh, what is it, a slow launch or like, uh, you know, taking our time here piece by piece, building brick by brick. And uh, now we're at full strength and, and uh, ready to go here as we kind of hit the, uh, the home stretch, uh, you know, mid-season and, um, you know, things amping up with uh, intensity with this uh, AFC North showdown. Yeah, absolutely, guys. And just to kind of give a little backdrop for the listeners. So, like I said, I'm Muhammad Ahmad. Uh, I joined a little later. You guys had a little bit of a head start, but I joined uh, right before week four when the Bengals played the Dolphins. But a little background on me. Uh, I actually have an interesting background. I did two years of TV. My last stop was in Bowling Green, Kentucky. I worked at the ABC affiliate there as an anchor reporter. Really loved telling stories on camera, but I wanted to try something different because I used to write a lot in college at Kentucky where I went to school, covered the Wildcats for a little over a year and a half. So I thought, hey, I used to watch the Bengals growing up, being from Kentucky and knowing a lot about the team and following them, I said, this is a great opportunity. And Andrew, I know you've got quite the experience with the NFL right before you came and joined the team, right? Yeah, uh, so I started, uh, you know, covering, uh, you know, professional sports in 2019. I actually started covering the Ravens. Uh, so I've had friends texting me all week that this is actually the Gillis Bowl. Uh, so I'm very <laughs> excited for that. Um, it's, uh, but yeah, so I covered the Ravens for two years and uh, obviously now we're here. So, uh, you know, I, I like I got to say too, it's made this week the easiest week of prep I've ever had to do because I know like, probably like I I could tell you just offhand 35 40 of the 53 on the Ravens. So that's actually made it really easy for me this week. So it's been good. Yeah, I'm I different little diff, different than you guys. I was mostly at, in, at the college level, uh spent kind of uh, more than a decade uh covering FBS football, uh had stops in uh, Ann Arbor, um Auburn and then uh had been spent the last uh, you know 4 or 5 years uh, in Blacksburg uh covering Virginia Tech football. Um, so always been on kind of the mainly with, you know, football is my beat, but, uh, moving up here to, uh, the NFL and, and excited to kind of get acclimated and, um, have a little more access, talk to a few more people, uh, than we did at the uh, college level. And so that, that's been fun to have, uh, open locker rooms again. That's, uh, that's been kind of, a, an appealing part of this. Yeah. I'm so glad you mentioned that Mike, because, you know, my first day, uh, which was again, before the Dolphins game, it was that Tuesday, 
you know, we walk in and the lockers are just a free for all. You just talk to whoever's there. And I'm like, to go from doing everything on Zoom, like not even two years ago to this, I was like, where have you been all my life? So it was a nice welcome return to normalcy, if you want to call it that. Although a lot of things are certainly different. But what's not different is just the excitement. Like you guys said, it's an even week. Uh, the Bengals were 2-2 two and two after that rough 0-2 start. And again, as Andrew mentioned, Baltimore is on the Bengals' mind. This is probably one of the biggest, if not the biggest, AFC North matchup at this point. Although, funny enough, the Bengals already saw the Steelers in week one, so can never have too much AFC North action early in the week. But, and Andrew, you would agree with me, I think when you think about the Ravens, really the first name or person that comes to mind is Lamar Jackson. I mean, there's really no shortage of things you could say about him. Won an MVP not even two years ago. He looks like an MVP candidate just four or five weeks into the season. And from talking to Joe Burrow, Zach Taylor, Brian Callahan, it just seems like that name always comes up, Lamar Jackson. So it's going to be a challenge. It's not going to be easy because the problem is Lamar is whether it's a drawn-up play or even when the play breaks down, that might actually be worse. When the play breaks down, it's almost like Lamar is more dangerous because then at that point it's like, every man for himself up until something happens. So I think the Bengals can definitely shut him down. I don't think I should say shut him down, but they can definitely limit him, but it won't be easy. And it's going to take a lot of creative schemes. And Andrew, I mean, you know best, you covered Lamar for a couple of years. I mean, what makes this guy so dangerous? I mean, how can the Bengals stop him Sunday? Yeah. Um, oh man, I could write a book about Lamar. Um, because I, I think the dynamics of what Lamar is in today's NFL are fascinating. Um, because we look, we all know the questions that he had to go through coming into the NFL, you know, Oh, he's a running back. Oh, he's the low, It was like low running back was a trend on Twitter. Like we all know that we all know that, but the, the reason for that is actually based in, in something flattering in that he is the best athlete on the field pretty much every single play. And that is where kind of the difficulty arises because, uh, you know, defensive coordinator Lou Anarumo talked about this week. It takes you out of what you want to do because let's say you want to run a man-to-man defense and all of a sudden Lamar drops back and three or four receivers go out, plays, plays covered well by the Bengals in the secondary, Lamar rolls out and now all of a sudden you've got Devin Duvernay's down the field and you have Cheeto with his back to the line of scrimmage. Somebody's got his eyes all over Mark Andrews. And all of a sudden you just have guys that are not scheduled to play, like scheduled to cover Lamar Jackson and their backs are toward him. And that is not the way to operate because Look, we the Bengals defense has been great this year. Logan Wilson has been stellar. We can talk. We can sing his praises. Logan Wilson is not a good matchup in in space for Lamar Jackson. So he just cre- he he changes the way that you have to play defensively. And I think that there are ways you can slow him down. Uh, that his first playoff game against the Chargers many years ago, they put six defensive backs on the field, and that was how they really kind of neutralized the Ravens' speed. You can spy him with defensive ends. You can spy him with safeties. You can spy him with linebackers. You can't just do one thing. It has to be a constant, this is how we're going to stop him. This is what we're going to do. And it's got to be ever-changing because he just brings so much to the table. Or you score a lot of points. I mean, that's what they did last year. In the right. first matchup. Um, you put him on the defensive, and so then he becomes one-dimensional. 
Um, I think one of the advantages the Bengals have is that they get to prepare for them uh, twice uh, every year and also that they spend time, um, you know, Lou also said that they spend some time in the offseason prepping for this matchup like you would. uh, You know, he did compare it to college where if you're playing a triple option team, um, you have to spend some days and insert some days into your practice sort of thing, you know, uh, offseason package to sort of prepare for that. So I, I think that they know him a little better. Uh, I think, you know, I do think the key will be kind of offensively setting the tone. Um, you saw, you know, the two games that the Bengals have lost uh, this year. Um, Zach Taylor likes to say they got off schedule um, and, you know, that kind of everything broke down after that. I think when they've had the lead and played with the lead, they've played confidently. Um, and I think that would kind of give them an advantage. I mean, Lamar couldn't really do anything in that, that first game against them. Cause they, you know, they, they, you know, built up such a big lead um, and, and, you know, that makes it tough. So I think that's one way where the offense can sort of help out the defense and take some of the pressure off. Yeah, I like what you said, Andrew, about just the idea that you can't just do one thing. You can't just put one person on Lamar. It might be Logan Wilson. And I really think we're going to see a lot of Logan Wilson because, I mean, like we saw against the Jets, the guy could spread his arms around the equator. I mean, he could do it all. But, I mean, I think Sam Hubbard comes to mind, and that might confuse some people. But, you know, think about when they played Kansas City in the AFC Championship last year on that goal-to-go drive at the end. Second and third down, he sacks Patrick Mahomes both times as a spy. He's kind of standing in the middle like Logan Wilson normally would. With that adjustment, he comes after Mahomes. And we're going to probably see a lot of that. I wouldn't be shocked if we see that. Uh, against the Ravens. He's the highest-graded edge rusher for the Bengals. He's top 10 in the league in edge rushing. So I really want to see what Coach Anarumo does with him. He's one of his favorites, although he likes to say everyone is his favorite, just like you guys are my favorites. But I think maybe a question I have for you guys is, are the Bengals favored to not allow any touchdowns in the second half? Because up to this point, they haven't allowed any touchdowns in the second half. I think that changes. I, I think the Ravens definitely scored a touchdown in the second half. I think they scored more than one touchdown in the game. But, you know, what do we see from the defense that might not look as good for the Bengals? And, you know, why is that? Yeah, like, listen, um, with all due respect to Mitchell Trubisky and Cooper Rush and Joe Flacco and Tua and Teddy Bridgewater, they couldn't hold Lamar's cleats. Um, like, th- like, this is far <laughs> and away the best quarterback that the Bengals defense is going to have to go up against. And I think that that, to me, that is something that I am just so fascinated to see because, like, you know, we were talking and to kind of go back to what we were talking about previously, like one of the things you can do is against a team like this is just throw a bunch of speed out there. I've You know, we've seen teams try to do this before. You just throw the speed out there and, and try to neutralize that because their receivers are pretty fast. Devin Duvernay can fly. J.K. Dobbins is pretty fast. They have a couple different running backs that can move. So you can do that. But when they get on these drives, like the, like the Ravens are not a team built like the Bengals. And that is why I think this matchup really for a long time is going to be fascinating because the Bengals – when they are operating, it is quick strike, move down the field in five plays, we score a touchdown. The Ravens are not built like that unless Lamar is going to do something crazy and just go for like an 80-yard touchdown run like he did against the Dolphins. Like The Ravens are built to grind you down. So I think that the offense, kind of like you said, has a really, really big role in this game. Uh, you know, And I asked uh, Brian Callahan, the, the offensive coordinator, 
Um, just what kind of role basically does the offense have in that? And he kind of downplayed that, but I think truthfully it's going to be on the offense because if you, if like, even if, you know, it's, let's say the score is 10, 10 at halftime, but the Ravens have the ball for 18 minutes. That's not good on your defense because those are hard minutes that you have to play against this offense. So, you know, Bengals defense, I mean, they've got a hell of a task in front of them this week. And it once the ball gets rolling, it is just so hard to stop against the Ravens. Ravens Andrew, haven't, been so very, go ahead, Michael. haven't been as good in the second half, though. Uh, they've only they haven't scored a touchdown in the fourth quarter this season uh, and didn't score any points after uh, going up what I think it was 20 to three against Buffalo last right. week. They've been very inconsistent uh, offensively, though. And on third down, too, um, uh, had struggled. Uh, for long stretches this season. So, um, and on both sides of the ball, they've been kind of wonky. I mean, uh, Brian Callahan kind of downplayed some of the struggles the secondary had, but they were uh, terrible at times, uh, especially against Miami. Um, he said that's from maybe from having a new uh, defensive coordinator, but they have, you know, some of the best talent in the league, but they haven't particularly put anything together yet. Um, you know, and the Bengals struggled in the first two games, but they seem to be sort of trending in the right direction. But, the, you know, I think Baltimore has been very uneven on, on sort of both sides of the ball through four games. Um, and, and I'm not sure, you know, what the, what to attribute that to. Um, you know, I know obviously they have the new defensive coordinator, but it's a very similar system. Um, and they're actually being less aggressive. So, um, you know, you think they wouldn't they would make less mistakes than they have, especially in some of those big plays against Miami. Um, but um, not not playing uh, great football, I think, as a team right now. And the Bengals, the last two games, I, I really think have played very, very well. Yeah, and, yeah, and it, to jump in on Mike's point real quick, it, football is such a weird sport when we talk about this because, like, we when we were talking about the Bengals getting to two and two, it was you know what's the reasons that all you know they've said for for two weeks for four weeks now? Oh, it's because we were losing. We've been trying to fight back. Well, the Ravens are two and two, and they've trailed for a total of fourteen seconds in their two games so far this season. I, I mean, that is just such a weird dynamic where they've been in every single game, and they've had, uh, you know, they when they played the um, when they played the Dolphins, they were thirty five to fourteen. When they played the Bills, they were up twenty to three. So, like, I don't know whether or not, truthfully, to look at the Ravens as like, okay, this team is. Once they get their communication issues, once they get their heads on straight, they are the best team in the AFC or like they are one of the best teams in the AFC. Or I don't know whether to be like, hey, this is a team that just they don't have the guys to make those plays at the end of the game. They're such a weird team for me. And I think we're really going to learn a lot about the Bengals on Sunday, but we're really going to learn a lot about the Ravens. And I think that's going to go a long way to, you know, kind of figure out, okay, how do we look at this division over the next two or three months? You know, when they went for it on fourth down at the end of the game against Buffalo, I mean, there was a wide open receiver kind of to his left that he just missed. And this is not a knock on Lamar. I think he's going to be so lethal, but he's also not perfect. And so, like you said, we're going to see how perfect or imperfect the Ravens are going to be. We'll learn a lot about the Bengals, too. But talking about inconsistency, I think this is a question a lot of people want to know. Is this the game where Joe Mixon finally breaks out? Does Joe Mixon... Have a big game? I say yes, and I think it's because he mentioned this week that he called a meeting with his offensive line. First of all, that shows dedication because he knows something's not working. When you have the second most 
rush attempts in the league, but you're barely averaging over two and a half yards of carry, probably 2.8, but still paltry either way. So he really wants to do something, and we've seen him in practice. I mean, Lyle Collins was back in practice Thursday. I mean, he looked pretty good. Everyone looked pretty good. But, you know, is this going to be a repeat of what we've seen? Or I don't know. I think this is really the game where Mixon takes off and puts the last four games behind him. I don't know. I, I think that those struggles are are, are are not sure what to make of it. I think that, you know, there's some longer-term issues in terms of you know, is this a point? There are, when a running back hits a certain amount of carries in the NFL, uh, they start trending downwards. And um, is that is he at that point? I don't know. But, I mean, like the, the numbers and the production seem to indicate it's a possibility to sort of kind of explain. You know, it's hard to say. You know, when the coaching staff says, well, it's one different guy on, on every different play, um, you know, it's hard to sort of project that out. Like, well, can they fix that? You know, like how, how does that get fixed? And they say consistency, but – you know, they're not even all practicing together on the offensive line um, throughout the week with Lael Collins sort of practicing one day a week with his sort of uh, veterans day off um, policy now with where he's going to just basically be one day on, one day off. Um, I think it's going to be tough. And I, and I also think that, you know, teams have found that they can pass against this Baltimore team. And that's what the, you know, uh, Cincinnati did last year, too much success and set all sorts of records. And, uh, you know, Joe Burrow, what, put up 525 T. Higgins had a career day in the second game. Jamar Chase had a career day in the first game. And that would seem to set up them to sort of uh, be a pass-heavy attack, especially, you know, if the Ravens' offense does get going, that that, that would seem to indicate, too, that uh, they would have to pass the ball. I think it's going to be tough this week, you know, just based on the matchup, um, that this, this doesn't favor Joe Mixon sort of going off and having a big game. Maybe in the passing game, I think that, you know, he talked about that too, that he's been eating there, um, you know, in terms of, you know, these, those checkdowns um, and they've had a lot of success with that. And he did last year, he was very productive against the Ravens. I think he could have a big game there, but I'm not sure uh, running the ball is, is, is in the cards this week. Or at least yeah. It, if this is the week that it, like, I, I will say this, if, if the running game doesn't get going this week, I think there's some really, really tough conversations that need to be had about the road, the running back rotation, because we're talking about an offensive line that since week one has gotten better. Like since week one, they have very clearly steadily improved. Now, granted, they're not playing Pittsburgh's D line. They're not playing Dallas's front. They're not playing Micah Parsons every week. I get that. But, Baltimore's pass rush is pretty terrible. Um, they're not great. Uh, they've lost their nose tackle, Michael Pierce, for the season. Um, Calais Campbell's still there. Um, you know, I, I still think uh, they have something in Adafe Owe as a pass rusher, but like none of those guys like strike fear into you, like like a, you know a TJ Watt or a Michael Parsons or somebody like that. And I think that. I like with the Ravens, they're not stupid. They know, like, no team is going to sit there and say, oh, well, Jamar Chase, we need to know. We need to focus on Joe Mixon. Like, they're going to be ready for the pass, and especially with those talented guys in the secondary, that if you can't run the ball this week against a team that doesn't have its starting nose tackle, against a team that, frankly, cannot really rush the passer that well. I don't know where you go from there because like some of the metrics that are, that are, you know, not just yards per yards per carry, like stuff like that. It's terrible for Cincinnati right now. So if, 
if this isn't the week and they try like they have, I mean, maybe, maybe they just abandon it. I don't know. Maybe you just say, screw it. Burrow's going to throw it 50 times a game. And that's how we're going to try to win football games. I wouldn't necessarily be opposed to that if I were the Bengals. But if you still try to kind of bash your head into the wall and say, we need to get the run game going and it doesn't get going. Oh man, this is not good because Baltimore's front is certainly not the best front you're going to see for the rest of the year. I don't think they'd ever change the running back rotation, though. Samaje is not the answer in that equipment. Right. I just think you're stuck with what you've got now, and then you reevaluate down the line. I, I don't think it's a matter of, uh, you know, and, and I think it's shown based on the carries. You know, usually when you struggle, you get less. And Mixon's gotten kind of the steady amount of carries no matter how he's performed this year. And I think that's just to keep him happy and, and to try to break through as well to see what they have so they have, you know uh, – Zach likes uh, Taylor likes to talk about sample size. So they do want to kind of get the data. So at the end of the year that they can evaluate like what's working, what's not uh, and on personnel. Cause I think that will be a big decision for them this year with, with Mixon. I mean, that's a discussion for another day, but I, I just think that they're going to have to, they've got what they've got at this point and, you know, they'll be creative and trying to find other ways to, it was kind of like how uh, Brian Callahan said today that, you know, they don't major in RPOs, so they do it other ways. We just use play action and, uh, you know, short passes, you know, quick passes. And that's it's the same thing. It's just different window dressing. So, uh, you know, your run game, you know, uh, Bill Belichick talked a lot about that too. Your run game, you know, what's the difference between a four-yard screen pass and a four-yard run in the middle? Nothing. It just looks different. So that's, I mean, I think that would be the solution as opposed to, I don't see them changing. I mean, maybe more third down carries, Instead, you know, maybe that's where they shift it. But Mixon's the guy, I think, you know, this year. Yeah, I, you know, I, I like I, I'm not saying that you just you make a running back switch or anything like that. But P runs a bigger body. So maybe I think like kind of like you just said, I think what you do maybe is if on third down, third and short, P Ryan comes in the game. Yeah. On goal line situation has been effective in the pass blocking and the right, right. Game. So he hasn't, you know. I, I think that does get overshadowed that he's doing the thing. You know, he's in the lineup for a reason. And even though he's not rushing the ball particularly well, which they've said goes to a lot of you know the faults to should be spread around. Um, you know, his pass blocking was good, especially in week four. Um, you know, he catches the ball well and gives them that that threat there. So. Um, yeah, I mean, it just might just they just might not be a very yeah. good run team, and that just might be right. Of- but you just yeah. you just reach a point where you've got to try something different if you're if you're averaging two point seven yards a carry. I'm not saying that it's a right answer. I'm just saying that like there is a moment where you just have to throw your hands up and say, "It." What's the scene from The Water Boy where like they're all sad at halftime and the coach just leans out and goes, "Anybody got any ideas?" Eventually, you're going to reach that point where you're just like. Does anybody have any ideas how to fix this? Because if we're five weeks through, that's, you know, I know Zach's like, like you said, Zach likes to say, oh, it's a small sample size, but five games where Joe is like not leading. A small size. Yeah, five games is not a small sample size, especially with how much you're trying to run the ball. We're going to definitely break down a little bit more on the other side of the ball to see just how well or not so well the Bengals wide receivers do against one of the toughest secondaries in the league. But we're going to have that when we come back as this is the Strictly Stripes podcast. Strictly Stripes podcast. And thanks for sticking with us on the Strictly Stripes podcast. One of the biggest things that Jamar Chase has emphasized this week is that he takes being double teamed as a compliment, but he is tired of it. He doesn't want to be double teamed. He wants to go off. 
And he's very motivated, but it's going to be tough when you have two of the toughest corners on the same side of the ball and Marlon Humphrey and, of course, Marcus Peters, who's been doing it with his third team now in his career in the last seven, eight years. So I think, you know, the funny thing is in his rookie year against Baltimore, when they played on the road, he had one of the best games of his career up to this point, over 10 catches for 100 yards and a touchdown where it just seemed like nobody could touch him, which was unreal. And he's still doing pretty well this year, 25 catches for 293 yards. But it's been frustrating for him. It has helped guys like T. Higgins, Higgins, can't talk today, and Tyler Boyd get more opportunities. But is this going to change for Jamar, or are the Ravens going to keep frustrating him the way every other defense has been double-teaming him? And as he described, even – triple double teaming him like the Ravens did to him last year. Well, I think that, you know, Zach Taylor was like, well, it doesn't matter about style points as long as we get the win. You know, Jamar, I think, cares a little more about the style points. Like he wants to win, but he also wants to look good doing it. And so, you know, he's got 25 receptions. He's got 293 yards, which is, uh, I think, in the top 15 in the NFL. Um, And, you know, so the numbers aren't bad. And he did lead the team. And, uh, you know, receiving a couple times already this year. But to him, he doesn't have those big plays, and that matters. And so, um, you know, he's not throwing a fit. He just he referred to himself as feisty. And so he's kind of kept it in check. But I think at the same time, to him, looking good and being good are sort of intertwined. And when he doesn't have that, you know, he had an 82-yard touchdown last year against the Ravens. Those are the kind of play he wants. And they're going to be hard to come by because when you have – a safety always over the top or boxing into the sideline uh, with the, you know, the, the team's top corner defending him. I mean, there's not a lot of space. I mean, you can only do so much. I mean, you force it to him, you, you risk turnovers. I mean, he's going to make plays, um, but I just, it's going to be harder to get him free when there's always a, when there's always two guys on him. He said, you know, there was only a handful of snaps against Miami where that didn't happen. Yeah, I think what you've got to do if you're the Bengals, like if you look at his like next-gen stats chart for week four against the Dolphins, pretty much exclusively he was outside the numbers and it was go routes, post routes, corner routes, things like that. It, it, It was a lot of down the field and outside the numbers, which are pretty difficult throws to make for Burrow. Um, I don't care who you are. That's a difficult throw to make. Um, so for me, I think what you've got to do is you've got to do a little bit of what you did against the Steelers in week one, where he would move him to the slot, have him run plays that are across the middle of the field. I think, you know, I, I, I don't know how much I want to say that this team needs to give up on the deep balls because you certainly can't. We saw Thursday that T. Higgins can still go one-on-one down the field with one of the better corners in the league, win that, and get him a touchdown. So you can't give up on him exclusively. But I think what you're going to have to do, like Jamar Chase is not a player where you can say, okay, well, we'll just take him being double-teamed and – you know, oh well, T. Higgins is is going to have to eat is going to have to eat for us. No, that's you need to get Jamar the football. So I think what you're going to have to do, I would you know I would like to see the Bengals do a lot more crossing patterns. Um, you know, they they've been they worked that slant really early in the season where they would line Jamar up in the slot and then just send him across the middle. And if you get ten yards on, if you get eight yards on, if you get six yards on it, that's fine because you you just got to get him the football. Jamar is not a player that. You say, okay, he's not he's not Deshaun Jackson where you say, 
okay, dude, you're going to get four targets a game. You're going to make two catches, and it's going to be 95 yards and a touchdown. That's, that's just not what there. You know, I looked at that last night. I think he got tar- was targeted 16 times in the opener and 10 times one other time. So, I mean, the targets have been there. The, the t- right, I, and I think you just got to keep hammering that. He's just been frustrated that they, they had, an, and especially in the, the Cowboy game was the one that he took particular issue is that they never even tried to go over the top. You know, that, right. that you've got to be doing that. He, to him, he feels it's like once a quarter, uh, you know, Joe Burrow's kind of backed him up, that whatever the defense gives you, you have to keep them honest by at least trying it, whether it's to him or T. Because they didn't do it at all against the Cowboys. And it, and it did hurt the offense. Um, but, I, you know, what will it work is another thing. But, I mean, he's just saying you have to attempt it to just make everybody happy and to show it. Um, you know, it's going to be, like you said, hard to get that to work just because, you know, with the propensity of the cover two scheme that they've been facing, it just doesn't open up the field other than the, the middle. And they've had success with that in the last two weeks, uh, you know, with, with Boyd and everything. But, um, you know, it's just going to be hard. I mean, they, they, you know, it'll be interesting to see with the Ravens because they do like to do man to man. Uh, more so than other teams. And, you know, Jamar said he expects that a little more. So maybe there's more opportunities this week. And yeah. I think, and, and you know, we, go, go ahead, Marvin. No, go ahead. Say, you, um, you, Marvin. You know, I think you made a good point, Michael. You know, they like to do that man to man. And that's going to be really tough for Jamar Chase because he'd like to go against Marcus Peters, who really, I think, for cornerback, loves to bite for the ball. He's not afraid to get a takeaway. I mean, the Ravens have at least 10 takeaways so far. They're one of the top takeaway teams in the league. And so that's going to be a problem whether you got the cover two or you go man-to-man. I, I think that's a challenge for him. I think he's excited about it. I think he has that confidence. He's clearly showing that. And, you know, you can't just rely on T, like you said, Andrew. But I do think he'll eat because I think he, he really thrived against Xavier Howard, who Brian Callahan said is one of the best uh, corners in the league, which I, you know, I agree with that assessment. He can win those one-on-ones, whether it's with Peters or Humphrey, whoever goes on him. Um, it can't just be him. I agree it can't just be him, but I do think he still eats. And I think, you know, it's not that people are sleeping on T because I think they know he's an elite receiver. But, I mean, for a number two, he's playing like a number one, which doesn't take away from Boyd or Chase. If anything, I think it complements them. I think it gives them that energy to kind of go out there and do even more. But I think what's going to be kind of unique is – you know, we saw that gadget play with Boyd making the throw against uh, the Dolphins. And, you know, Brian Callahan said, I mean, every week is week week. I mean, you could have a gadget play back to back. You might not see it again for a while. I don't know. You guys are going to see a gadget play against the Ravens. I, I just, my senses tell me there's going to be something. It might be good or bad, but I mean, they tried it with Nixon, didn't work against the Jets. So who knows? I, I think I wouldn't be shocked if we see it. Yeah. I mean, you got to start scheming some stuff up and, and kind of like I was going to say, like, the thing that's difficult about this week and the thing that I think teams are starting to do, I think we saw that last week and it actually burned Miami is they're going to put their number one corner one-on-one on T and you're just going to bracket Jamar. And I think what, what makes this matchup unique for the Bengals is that last year, the Ravens didn't have Marcus Peters this year. They do. So I'm curious how they handle that. Does, does Marlon Humphrey just, follow T Higgins everywhere. Like if T Higgins goes to the bathroom, is Marlon Humphrey right there? Like I I wonder what they're going to do there because if you do that, then all of a sudden you got three playable safeties, like not, not, not just playable, like three startable safeties that are legitimate NFL starters that you can throw on the field 
And like a guy like Kyle Hamilton, who's six foot four, you can move him kind of all over the field. So I'm very curious what kind of looks the Bengals get this week, because with those safeties on the field, it kind of allows you more, more options, I guess you could say, if you want to bracket Jamar. Okay, if we're going to double this guy, you have more players on the field that can do that, which is kind of like I was talking about with their run game. Like if this is the week where you're not going to be able to run the ball because I bet you anything in the world that the Ravens are going to have three safeties on the field, majority than not, or at least at the very least, like three, four corners and their two safeties. Like if you can't run the ball this week, there's a problem. But with going back to the receivers, you just got to start scheming some stuff up. And, and I think that I get Jamar wants those big plays, but sometimes those big plays are, it's a crossing pattern over the middle. Jamar makes a guy miss and he's got 45 yards on the sideline. It doesn't have to be a nine. It doesn't have to be a deep post route. There are ways you can do that. And I think, you know, we're really going to have to see the Bengals offense creativity here because that's how you're going to have to do it. I think at least for the foreseeable future. Well, according to Pro Football Focus, just, you know, in terms of Marcus Peters, it was interesting to see that teams were really focusing on him and targeting, I guess his average depth of target was about 16 yards. And I haven't seen a lot of the Ravens play this year, and I'm just wondering, you know, sometimes those ACL injuries take an extra year right. to be uh, fully healthy. And I'm wondering, is he a half step behind where he used to be? Um, just because the numbers show that he's being targeted the most, what, one target every uh, seven coverages, uh, every time he every time he's he's in coverage, um, and he's given up a lot of yards, and so I wonder, uh, you know, just not having seen him as much, uh, just knowing that injury uh, in, in terms of like you know generally, you know, some guys do take that extra year to kind of get back to their sort of peak level, um, and just you know, is that going to be um, something that they can exploit because uh, this is not the week you want to be even just like a, a, a you know a quarter of a step off against some of these, these, these uh, skill players. Well, and the thing that's interesting about Peters this week is that Marcus Peters oftentimes operates in the, I'm going to get a pick six or I'm going to get burned because he's a great playmaker. Don't get me wrong. But if you're able to take advantage of that aggressiveness, I think you're going to have a really, really big day. Um, because like I said, like, if Peter, like Peter's, that's not a good attitude not, to have if you're not, you're not, you're not right. Worried. Well, that's my, so that's what I'm trying to say. Like, yeah. um, like if Peter's can't, like if he, if he just physically isn't what he was, then that's a win for the Bengals because you've got a guy who's aggressive who maybe shouldn't be. Uh, I think about it like a, you know, a little bit like Josh Norman used to be where like Josh Norman was, was, he was really, really good. And then you just reach an age. I don't think he had any major injuries, but I think it was an age thing for him. But like, you just reach a point where like, you can't do what you, what made you great. And I think if that's the case, the Bengals are going to have a lot of chances this week on out routes, on slants, on posts where Marcus Peters is going to be too aggressive. And I think you can kind of play into that if you're the offense. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's all good. I think, you know, uh, someone Joe Burrow even mentioned, you know, his former teammate at LSU, Patrick Queen. I mean, six foot four, really uh, tough matchup. I mean, he definitely praised him because he saw him firsthand how good he is. So don't forget about Calais Campbell. I mean, gosh, the guy he's playing like he just came into the league yesterday. So that'll definitely be uh, disruptive. But I think in, in that case, the offensive line will be up to task. I would have had a different opinion on that 
a few weeks ago with the way things looked against, you know, like Micah Parsons or, you know, TJ Watt. But, you know, definitely uh, I think it's it's going to be a challenge. It's it's going to be tough, but I think and we can kind of get into the predictions later on down the road uh, right before Sunday, but it'll be a, it'll be a battle. I don't think Burrow will be gunslinging, but he'll be slinging. He'll be slinging. He'll be slinging something. Just maybe slinging. Wow. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, gentlemen, I kind of wanted to – speaking of Burrow, I'm actually glad I brought him up because – and I don't want to overlook this because I think this is an interesting point. We are a ways away from the NFL honors and awards, but as many people know if they don't know already, Joe Burrow launched his own foundation this week. The main goal is to fight food insecurity and – help with uh, children's mental health, specifically in Ohio and Louisiana. You know, obviously it's personal to him because when he gave his Heisman speech uh, at LSU in 2019, he brought up Athens County, Ohio, his hometown, and just the poverty rates there. Louisiana's top five in the country, you know, in poverty as well, uh, according to the latest census. But kind of a hot take, maybe not not so hot take, but does Joe Burrow win the Walter Payton Man of the Year Award? And if not now... Does he win it down the road? I say he wins it this year. I mean, your third year in the league, you're already acting on a promise you made in college before you came to the league. And it sounds like they're already moving in action. His parents are a part of the board, and he's partnered with a lot of people in Cincinnati and Louisiana and Athens, of course. But it's, it's pretty big stuff. I think he definitely wins it this year. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, every team has a nominee, and and obviously, you know, what Joe Burrow is doing um, is 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 outstanding, and and I'm, you know, it's 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 really cool stuff to see that. It, you know, it always feels good whenever you see people like give back, not just you know charities, but like hometown charity. It, it just kind of it makes you feel good. So you know, I, I don't know. Um, you know, I think like you know, every team has you know a Joe Burrow type. You know, every team has a guy who. You know, okay, he does really, really good stuff with the community. But yeah, for I mean, for sure, I think he's at least you know one of the leading candidates to be their team nominee for this year. Um, you know, because because what he's been doing with his you know community outreach stuff has been pretty cool. Yeah, I don't think they set odds on that, so I can't take that. Back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, sorry, Muhammad. Unless there's unless yeah, that, that's, that's... I, I can't make a ruling on that. Well, I totally get that. And yeah, maybe once the odd makers come out with it, we can debate on that some more. But no, really, like, again, um, you know, the thing about those awards is it's usually people, I think, with at least five, six years of experience. You know, funny enough, the last person to win it, Andrew Whitworth, who played for the Bengals for over a decade, just retired with the Rams after winning a Super Bowl against his old team. You know, it took him over a decade and a half to get there. I mean, J.J. Watt took him about six years before he got his award, but that's where I think maybe the trend ends and maybe that's where it's kind of a hot take, but nonetheless, he's definitely a leading nominee. Like Andrew said, I think we can all agree on that before we go, Andrew, I just have to ask you. So we're going to be in Baltimore, which was your stomping grounds. Like you said, how good is the crab dip? I think the crowd, the crab dip, I haven't even tried it and I'm already thinking about it. I'm just like, gosh, I, I need it in my mouth right now. Yeah. Very, very good. Um, it's, you know, it's one of those, it, the cool thing about going to a city like that, and and I don't want to single Baltimore out here, so I you know this goes for Buffalo and and chicken wings, like it it, it goes for all of those kind of cities like that where there is like a specialty or like Kansas City and barbecue, like pretty much no matter where you go, 
it's gonna be one of the better like unless like somebody like literally screws up the food like it's <laughs> going to be one of the better seafood dinners of your life um i am not so much a crab guy as i am a crab dip guy um like I'm not, you know, I, I, I believe it or not, I actually never did the, like the cracking where like you crack the crabs yourself. Uh, you where you like say you're from Baltimore then. I know that's the thing. So I did that. I did eat ton of crab. Like I would have it no, remade for me. Um, <laughs> but I would net like I. Well, it's see, it's funny though. I tried. Like it, it that wasn't for a lack of trying. So first off, I moved to Baltimore four days before the NBA shut down. Um, so places didn't even do it. I only lived in Baltimore for two years. Places didn't even do it for like a year and a go half. To the water so I, I will go to the water with just my fishing net. And, you, and um, you catch one and then that's how you do trust it. Trust me. Listen, I, I really like Baltimore as a city. Uh, look in the inner harbor and tell me if that looks any kind of appetizing yeah. because it's disgusting. You're just telling the podcast <laughs> listeners you have no heart. Right. I, that's on the bottom line. Right. Exactly. Okay. Well, I'm glad we got that settled. Like, this is the first one. Like, you might as well just get that out of the way right now. Uh, I've also never had Skyline Chili, uh, and I've been in Cincinnati for a month. Um, so I'm just really yeah, trying to piss off. Yeah, but crab is like a delicacy. Chili is disgusting. So I mean, like, let's. Oh like, wow. Okay. Oh, okay. So we are we are really there. just trying to aggravate every single person that we can here. A crab, I, like. I think on that note. I think on that note, let's kind of temper the mood but it also this this has been a lot of fun see we're bringing it all food takes you know takes on whether joe burrow's walter get crab dip that's that's my ending argument get crab dip and just be happy like whether it comes with chips with bread with what i like sometimes they put it on like chicken sandwiches oh do it it's wonderful all right andrew just because you said it i'm gonna do it i'm gonna take your word on that i don't think there's a better way to start out than this this has been a blast uh, for those who are tuning in, we appreciate you. It's going to be a lot more fun if it's not fun already. But once again, for myself, Andrew Gillis, and Michael Nizelik, I'm Muhammad Ahmad. Thank you so much for joining the Strictly Strikes Podcast. See you soon.